<laughs> we might have to do a we might have to do a Gaiden episode called Shmupronyms. Oh jeez. <laughs> Explaining all the terminology. <laughs> Shoot the core cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly Shmup-themed podcast that likes to raise the roof and party like it's 1992. From RF Generation, I am Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru, and my co-pilot on this mission is... Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups. Yes, and uh, before we get going here, if you would like to connect with us... You can follow us on Twitter at ShootCourtCast. You can also follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. Uh, find our podcast on our Linktree page, and uh, that way you can get to all the feeds that we have and subscribe on your favorite podcast service. That is linktr.ee slash shootthecorecast. Uh, please join us at rfgeneration.com. Join in the forums and uh, join us for a Shmup Club playthrough. Uh, as I mentioned, please subscribe, rate, review, like, whatever the case may be on your preferred podcast platform. You can also join the RF Generation Discord, which is linked from the front page of RFGeneration.com. We do have a dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic there where you can come discuss the podcast, talk about shmups in general, the shmup club game of the month, etc., and uh, join us there. Of course, you can post screenshots of high scores on that sort of thing. And you can follow me on Twitch uh, to get notifications of new streams, since I do stream the Shmup Club Game of the Month multiple times throughout each month. That is twitch.tv slash guru gameboy. Yeah, and one of the things we should definitely mention is the database. I can't tell you how many times I've had to search the RF Generation database. Oh, do I really own the Xbox copy of TextQuest? A Maxim Tale? It's... <laughs> really hard to find out that you know I finally figured out that I own at least five copies of Deep Space Waifu so I got that covered now I just have to worry about Tex Maxim who, who, who developed Tex Quest Tex Quest well I think it was a combination or maybe it was one of those giveaways that talk about it I'll have to look it up <laughs> okay so it so then it ranks right up there with the uh the Burger King games. Oh, no, no. This far surpasses this here. Oh. <clears throat> you know, you, you have Carlito, the Tex-Mex hero. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll have to be on the look for that uh, next time I hit the pawn shops. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> you might say it's a hidden gem. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> the other thing I want to make sure we shout out about uh, RF Generation is that the site has gone through some updates recently. So there's been a bit of, of uh, you know, issues with the forum and things like that. But uh, a big hearty thank you to Bickman2K for all of, of his hard work in getting the site upgraded, moving it to a new, uh, new domain and stuff. Some of you may have noticed in the last month or so 
that the podcast feed got refreshed. And so it looked like all the episodes were new or something like that. Um, but that's just because uh, the site moved to a new server and we've got uh, more more RAM, more processor, more storage, etc. cetera, uh, and some, some back-end updates and things. There are more updates coming, but we had to move to the new, uh, the new server before we could do some of the other updates. Uh, but a big thank you to Bigman2K for all of his hard work in uh, getting that done. Yeah, it's got double the hamster power. Indeed. Now there are two hamsters on two wheels. Parallel processing. That is amazing. <laughs> Next up, blast processing. Oh, no, no, no. For that, you require at least six guinea pigs. <laughs> uh, well, let's kick things off with our question of the month. Uh, and I threw this out on Twitter a couple of days ago, and we got a pretty good response. So the question that I posed is, what game do you consider very difficult, but for some reason you don't get overly frustrated playing it and just want to keep trying? And we got uh, some pretty good pretty good feedback on this. So at Lightning Viz said, eliminate down. Oh, sure. Give me this one. No. <laughs> at XO3715713 says that has to be layer section the ray series r type final gradius 4, v thunder force 4 and 5 yeah those are all good games but they're definitely hard yep uh, rico chingo says most cave games but i play them all the time at needs new shorts says gunnack hope to get to that one sometime soon uh at Urbors says truxton Especially chasing the high score in the II Arcade leaderboards. You got to be careful when you mention that. You say that three times, you'll summon Mark. <laughs> yes. Mark Bustler. Indeed. All right. Our next comment comes to us from at Nerd Tantrum. Most cave games, there's something to them that's so satisfying to play, no matter how insanely difficult they are to be. Yeah, cave games, I could definitely say that. Once you get past stage two, all bets are off. Yeah, pretty much. At 05 Pro says, Border down, red route start. Spent a small fortune just to play this replete, repeatedly on cab a few years back, despite having owned the DC port since release. One hit game over until you can clear stage one with the score requirement to border up. At Pony Tatsujin says, XX Mission. Surprisingly, it plays very similar to Xevious, and thus it has similar difficulty curve, but it has more predictable enemy patterns. Oh, Xevious, that's a good one we got to do. In fact, we'll talk about a little bit about that later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Sir Didymus1421 says, Rolling Gunner. And yeah, that's... Uh that's a good uh, a good uh, a good response because I kind of find myself in that boat sometimes. I I haven't gone back to Rolling Gunner in a while, but it definitely pulled me in. At Sentience IXP says Kirby's Dream Course. I haven't played enough of Kirby's Dream Course on there, but I know it can be <laughs> as much frustrating as real golf. Yeah, and that's one I've never played, so I'd, I'd be curious to, to understand what makes that game difficult. Uh, our buddy Duke Togo, at CollectorCast on Twitter, says, Space Megaforce. 
I'll probably never see the end of it, but I enjoy every run. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic game. I'm hoping eventually that uh, either M2 gives us another LS collection that includes that, or at the very least that maybe it uh, ends up on the uh, Nintendo Switch Online in the Super Nintendo game list. At Old Kentucky Shaw 3 says 1943 is tough, but the fuel meter keeps the game exciting rather than frustrating. Oh, uh, I will say that's another one that I'm looking forward to getting to. And something with a soundtrack, too. Amazing. Yeah. No no bells and drums. Exactly. And uh, again, our buddy Kelsey Polnick, who is also part of the collector cast, said Zanak. And uh, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to our Zanak episode of the podcast, which features both uh, Duke Togo and Kelsey. And uh, that was a that was a fun episode and good discussion on that. I still love that autocorrect changes to Xanax. Yeah. <laughs> Kelsey says drugs, okay? <laughs> drugs are bad, okay? <laughs> yeah. At last, Emperor Ju- Jub says Garega and Gumber 2 and regarding Cave. Especially for me, Esperade, or Esperade and Ketsui out of their catalog. Yeah, Ketsui. Oh, man, I'm still getting some PTSD from stage three. Yeah, but Ketsui is so good. It, that's, that's another one of those that I think definitely belongs on this list. Uh, at Core Gamer Treff said Crisis Wing. Seven stages, each of them are very long, and the bosses are no slouch either in any of them. Requires way too much perfection, but at the same time, it has got me so it has got so much variety in enemies, bosses, and stage music. Trying to get the clear in co-op makes it a bit easier. At Redon, Sprite says, depends on what shmup I'm playing at the time. Well, actually, I've been playing Zero Ranger again recently. I think that game is a masterpiece, but on green-orange mode, I've been getting my butt kicked. I've beaten it before, but trying to get that 1cc. Well, good luck to you on the 1cc. It is really, really a good game, and I think that I completely agree with Mark MSX. It's a STG that people who are just even getting into it versus veterans will find something there. It's one of those rare games that has something for everybody. Indeed. At uh, Hakurosi says, Esperade, no doubts. Insanely difficult, but impossible to leave. I think it may be because the scoring or the variable difficulty while choosing between its six routes that forces you to take different strategies, etc. Uh, Gunbird 2 and Gigawing are on this pack for me as well. At Talc33 says, all of the cave titles... They just feel great to play, and they're a great example of satisfying game feel. At ShmupDB says Blue Revolver. At Old Man Burley says Under Defeat, Raiden 5, Ketsui, Blue Revolver, and Zero Ranger. I cannot clear on any of them on default, yet I enjoy playing them immensely. And, and that's something that I think needs to be said here just because you aren't going for a 1cc or can't get a 1cc 
doesn't mean that you shouldn't be playing shmups or getting into shmups. And that, that's one of the entire ideas of this shmup club is to just have fun doing, experimenting, trying something different. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, you know, play all the play all the shmups you can. Find out what you like, what works for you, and then roll with it. Uh, at uh, I'm I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right. Uh, Queloid Suave or Kaloid Suave says Raiden. Speaking of uh, our friends from RHN, at Bickman 2K says I'm not particularly good at most shmups, but Ikaruga is my answer here. The color mechanic and visuals are amazing. As bad as I am, I still love firing it up from time to time. And that's one of the shmups that is really interesting. Even if you suck at it, you you, you can have a lot of fun with it. And you, it's pretty cheap, at least on the eShop. I think it regularly goes down to 5 bucks. So definitely check it out. For sure. Uh, Jehudi88 says, Raystorm. I could never get past the later stages, but the visuals and the music presentation always hooked me in. Another would be Darius Burst Chronicles Savior. Hard as heck, but that soundtrack is whimsical. Yeah, for sure. The Raystorm, I would have to agree with that. I uh, The presentation of that game is similarly pulls me in. At Tropical Bit CR says, all of them. <laughs> uh... Uh, at Kai underscore Shmupper says Saidaiojo, which of course means uh, Dodonpach Saidaiojo. DDPSDOJ. So many acronyms around here. I love how. I assume there'll be just one game that comes out on it. Did you try SDOPOJO50? No, the sequel? <laughs> we might have to do a we might have to do a Gaiden episode called Shmupronyms. Oh jeez. <laughs> Explaining all the terminology. <laughs> Alright, the next comment is from At Nightopia, Battle Garega, especially because of the added challenge of managing rank, which can increase the difficulty of virtually impossible levels. The game is so well designed, I enjoy getting destroyed by it. And our final comment comes from easy, uh, at easy underscore racer. Might be the recency bias, but Strikers 1945-2 or Ikaruga. So, thank you to everyone who uh, gave answers this month. Uh, so I, what's yours? Well, the reason I ask this question is my answer, which is the game that we're discussing today, and that is Viewpoint. But I will qualify that by saying the Neo Geo version of Viewpoint. Um, that's a little spoilery for the rest of the podcast, but it has to be said that the original version of this game is one that, based on a lot of its design philosophy, I should be frustrated with. Uh, but for whatever reason, I don't get frustrated with it in the same way that I do some other games. Now, that doesn't mean I don't ever get frustrated with it. You know, you could see that in some of my streams. But, the game just keeps pulling me back. So, it, it definitely has its hooks in me. It's a good thing that soundtrack is a banner. In, oh, yeah. What about you? 
For me, you know, I would have to say the game of life. <laughs> no, uh, honestly, I would have to say Gradius 3 Arcade. I don't know why, but I keep coming back to it like a masochist. Keep trying. Uh, you know, it, it's sort of like being beat and beat down, and you say, this time's going to be... Or, or better yet, maybe uh, Gradius 3 is Lucy holding the football, and I am Charlie Brown, and yet every time I keep going back. <laughs> uh, this time's going to be it. I'm going to kick it. I'm going to kick that football. <sighs> well, good luck in that pursuit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we all know how that's going to end. Uh, yep. Um, now, I-, I wanted to ask because, um, you know, we would... Right now, I would normally we would normally start talking about Mushihime Sama, our freeform discussion, because you know that's kind of the game that we're that's our focus shot for the for the year. But I I need to preface that by saying I did not get any time to actually play this game. I was hoping to do a little bit over the weekend, but I had so much family stuff going on that I I didn't. Um, and so I was going to ask, did you play this at all over the month? You know what I did, and I I ended up playing the Steam version and played for a little bit. I said I might get get into a little bit of trouble with the Battleship bug, so I might as well try that. And I was surprising how quick I acclimated back to the flow of things. Uh, I still have that sort of my upper limit there is that end. I can get through the flow of the level pretty well, but... I still need to map out the very end of the actual boss battle. It, it, it still reminds me of learning the patterns of, uh, was it stage four of our type in the big battleship? Oh, that's uh, stage three. Is it stage three? Okay. I know stage three. Oh, stage four is the one with all those stupid little vines and lasers coming at you, yeah. How could I forget? It should have been burning my brain after playing it for over and over and over. Uh, Right? (laughs) No, it's definitely difficult in the way that I'm playing with um, with the pad on on Mushi. I'm hitting the A A button pretty lightly in order to do a quick fire and then holding it down for a focus shot. Realistically, I should be playing with a arcade stick in order to make that easier. I'm not so sure that the game's controls work really so well for a pad in this case. I don't know where have you been playing with a, a stick mainly with uh, Mushi, or are you playing with a pad? Yeah, I have been playing almost exclusively stick. Although um, I've got a new 8-bit dough pad that I was thinking about pairing with my Switch to try out with the game, just to see, um, you know, how that would work. But I feel like I've begun to get enough enough of a rhythm with stick that even though my stick technique is kind of janky um, I, I feel like I'm I'm improving so to me it seems like this game is one that I can continue to sort of use to refine my technique over time and hopefully by the time I eventually can eke out a clear that maybe by the time I get to that point I will have developed a more consistent and clean stick technique. It's all about that technique, yeah. Uh, I, I, I sort of jokingly refer to it as typing, 
uh, either Morse code or uh, sending a telegram every time <laughs> hitting on that button is it's uh, really getting to kind the pattern into my ear. I think it would also relieve a little bit of stress but with the way that my finger rests on the pad. You, you ever get where you were sitting with your pad and then all of a sudden you, you change it. You almost got sort of like a claw grip on the pad as you're, as you're trying because you've got the same three buttons you're pressing. Does that happen with you with STGs? I used to do that with pad. In fact, I used to do that with my uh, Sega Genesis three pad or three button controller years ago. That was one of the things I did. It was the, the claw grip where I would I would have my my left hand holding the pad normally so I could use the D-pad with my thumb. And then I would have my right hand with my thumb underneath the pad and my index, middle, and ring fingers um, on the buttons so that I could push them, you know, specifically. But I haven't done that in a number of years. And so, I don't know. I feel like I, I have more of that claw grip kind of thing when I'm playing on stick because I've got my hand down and I've got at least three fingers on different buttons so that I can press them or hold them down or whatever I need to do. So I, I still kind of have a little bit of that, but it's more specific to playing stick, I guess. Uh, it'll be interesting. Hopefully sometime this year I can grab an arcade stick cheap enough that I can give it a shot because I, I'm using the A-Power um, Xbox One controller, which is modeled after your regular Xbox One or Xbox Series, whatever the heck they call it now, your standard Xbox controller, and, and it works well enough, but they're, they're huge. They're not Duke huge. We're not there, but they're still pretty big. Yeah, I, I've heard good things about those Power A controllers, but I haven't gone out and bought one myself yet. Well, and for the, they're wired, of course, which is going to cost some people to uh, say no, but if you can find an open box one, they're usually like 19 or 20 bucks. And I figure for that price, if I end up destroying the controller, I'm not going to be too, uh, too worried. So it makes it a good one to test out. Uh, Anything that requires a lot of feverish button pressing, like uh, schmucks. Right. Well, as busy as the month of May is, I'm I'm not sure I'm going to have a ton of time to continue to play Mushi, but I hope to get a couple sessions in uh, before the end of the month so that uh, we can hopefully discuss it a little bit more in detail again next month. Yeah, it's, I get you. There's a big storm on the horizon that's coming in June. That is correct. With that, let's move into some shmup news. So uh, the Taito Shoot'em-Up Fighting Hawk is out now for Switch and PS4 through Arcade Archives. And this is one of those that I was not very familiar with. I don't remember this being on either of the Taito Legends uh, collections. And I had to do a little bit of a double take when I saw it because... I initially thought, wait, is this a bootleg version of Twin Hawk, a.k.a. Daisenpu, uh, which is a total plan shoot 'em up But no, it is a different game. It just looks strikingly similar. It's different. They changed the title screen. It's all good. Yeah. And Cave has posted an English language guide for players looking to stream their games or post on YouTube and other social media. 
you are in fair use and what cave supports. I think this is great. So finally get some rules on what's allowed. You know, if, if you want to put in your uh, Futari fan fiction, you can. Yeah, and the interesting interesting thing about this is that you know Cave lists all their all their copyrighted games, and so it, it looks like it's all stuff that Cave has uh, has published themselves, uh, which is interesting. So it doesn't include the original Dom Patch because that was published by someone else. And uh, if you look at, it's got the list of arcade games, and then it has a list of Xbox 360 titles and Steam titles, as well as the smartphone games. But it doesn't list any of the, it doesn't list any of the other ports, such as the M2 uh, ports, or, uh, for example, the uh, Ketsui port for PS3 and Xbox 360. That was done by 5PB, and so that's not on the list here. So that's kind of interesting, but yeah, a lot of it basically is, hey, play our games and uh, you know share on YouTube and Twitch within the guidelines of each platform, etc. And um, you know, kind of a hey, if if there's a third party problem or whatever, then then we'll. Uh, We'll get in touch with you about that, but it's all pretty straightforward and and uh, pretty basic. So that was nice to see that they're not they're not pulling a Nintendo and saying, "Oh no, you gotta if you want to play and record and stream our stuff online, you gotta follow all these all these guidelines like Nintendo used to have." Remember that being a big mess. Oh yeah, there was a lot of YouTubers up in arms over that several years ago. Uh, indie developer Boghog has released a Bullet Hell Shmup 101 design guide uh, for aspiring devs and uh, anyone who's kind of looking looking to potentially design a shoot 'em up game. And so, you know, talking about stage layouts, uh, enemy design, bullet patterns, those kinds of things. It's all in the in the guide, which is kind of neat. And so that's been uh, that's been linked on Twitter. And Super Nano Blaster is out on Steam. Game has a dimensional warp mechanic and looks to be a lot of fun. I'm hoping to give this a try myself pretty soon. Yeah, uh, it was one that I saw uh, had been recently highlighted by uh, Dace, aka Shmuptopia, on YouTube. And uh, yeah, it, it's sort of like think of the the polarity mechanic in. Art uh, in Ikaruga, but with the sort of, I guess you would say, dimension drive kind of idea of switching between alternate dimensions. But instead of going back and forth from one side of the screen to the other, it's all on the same screen, and you're just switching between essentially two different planes. Uh, and so it's kind of a neat idea. Um, apparently, according to some rumored information that I saw online, there there is a remake, a remakes I should say, of R-Type Tactics 1 and 2. And 
from what I understand, and I don't have all the details on this, but it seems like R-Type Tactics 1 and 2 are actually going to be remade into a single game. Someone correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that is, of course, the original R-Type Tactics that came out on PSP and did get a Western release. Uh, and then the sequel, R-Type Tactics 2, Operation Bitter Chocolate, which uh, was also on PSP, but unfortunately did not get localized outside of Japan. So that'll be interesting I swear, to see. Operation Bitter Chocolate sounds like a missed opportunity for a Toho game name. <laughs> well, yeah, that could be. Um, but now these aren't these aren't going to be shmups, of course. They're they're strategy games, but they're in the R-Type universe and have a lot of uh, ships and enemies and things. So they will be of interest to those who are into R-Type lore and. Um, and all the ship designs, especially the stuff that has been introduced with our type final and final two. And layer section and galactic attack S tribute released on modern platforms. I'm sort of waiting for the Mark MSX report on this because I imagine that it's going to have the dreaded three letter acronym or three letter word thrown about several times. And that being lag. Yeah, he did a he did a lag analysis of the demo, and it wasn't good. But I've heard other people say that it feels responsive. As we're recording this, Ed streamed it on his uh, channel on Bullet Heaven the other night, and he seemed to think that it felt responsive. I've heard from others who said that they felt it it was responsive and felt good to play. So who knows? Um, you know, I guess it's it's all up to the uh, the perception of every player. But yeah, I'll be curious to see how that turns out as well. Um, I have the Saturn version, so I don't necessarily need to get it for that. Uh, but yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see what the what the aggregate reviews are once more people get their hands on it. Yeah, I think it's safe to say if there's a demo that most people would want to try it for themselves to see. If, if they can find any discernible lag. Yeah. Uh, the M2 STG release, uh, the second in the Toaplan Arcade Garage series, Hishosame Same Same, is out now. Uh, it's out digitally, of course, on the uh, Japanese shops, and the physicals have shipped. Uh, I actually got my copy the other day, and for those, that, uh, those of us that pre-ordered, we got a nice little bonus uh, booklet that comes with it, uh, kind of like the uh, Aleste collection that they did. Uh, also came with a, a similar little booklet. And there's now an English language patch available for Harmful Park. So I'll be looking forward to that so I can finally understand what the heck is going on. But I mean, Harmful Park, even with the English language patch, me still trying to figure out what the heck is going on. But uh, Right. Uh, at least, at least the cutscenes will make sense now. Yeah, I mean, in terms of gameplay, you don't really need English to understand the game um, because it's it's a you know it's a shoot 'em up. But it is kind of cool that the game has enough acclaim outside of Japan that people went to the effort of uh, of doing that translation. So if you you know if you have the means to play a to, to play a patched version of the of the game uh it's out there 
Uh, also out there now is Pocky and Rocky Reshrined. So this is the uh, the new game in the Kiki Kai Kai series. And of course, we know that as Pocky and Rocky in the West with the two games that were out on Super Nintendo. And based on the reviews I've seen so far, it is a new game in the series that takes place in, at least initially, in locations that were present in the first SNES game, but it much expands beyond that and then goes kind of off in its own direction. So it sort of starts as what appears to be a bit of an homage to the original, but then quickly turns into its own thing. Yeah, and Digital Foundry did a great review of it, and just yesterday, uh, My Life in Gaming did a live stream of it. It looks very well done, and so I'm looking forward to getting my hands on a copy and testing out for myself in a couple weeks here. Yeah, I've I've got mine... Uh... I had mine on pre-order, so I'm hoping that it will ship here shortly. There we go. Steam and the Steam page is up for Astro Brainer. Uh, Shaded Arcanium from Endless Sh- Shirifu, the same devs as Akashi first. I-, I tried my best Mark MSX pronunciation on it, so I apologize <laughs> if I didn't get that right. Yeah, and and Akashic Verse um, has been a thing for a little while. And then there was a, an expansion to that here somewhat recently. Um, I can't remember right off the top of my head what it was called. Uh, Endless something or other. But at any rate, um, yeah, if you like your shmups uh, a little bit out there and more esoteric and more, I don't know, unconventional in some ways, then it's probably one to check out. All right, with that news out of the way, let us start our discussion of Viewpoint. Or let's discuss the points of view on Viewpoint. Our participants for the month were Metalfro, Addicted, Detunston, and Corkman. Thank you for playing along. So, Viewpoint was developed by ICOM and published by Sammy in 1992 for the Neo Geo MVS arcade system hardware. But, you know, I, I can't help but think it was just them going, really have this great house music. We've got this banging soundtrack. What could we do? And someone said, yeah, just design a game around it. Huh, right. Now, there's some contention as to when ICOM started. Wikipedia says it's 1998, from created by some former Jalico employees. But Sammy's website mentioned 1990 that ICOM was a subsidiary. So, either way, Sammy bought them in 1992. In 1996, ICOM separated from Sammy and changed their name to Yumikobo and famously started developing on SNK platforms after that. Notable ICOM titles include Amagon, the Anastanex, the Legendary Axe, which is a great game I would love to do one day, P-47 Thunderbolt, The Moffat Conspiracy, St. Dragon, which is the TurboGrafx-16 port, Totally Rad, Vice, Project Doom, which is another great game, and Polestar. Were they de- so they were <coughs> developers between, what, 
you could say almost all the entire uh, SDG library on the on the MBS slash AES. No, I mean there's a lot of shmups on the on the Neo Geo, but certainly they had their hand in uh, at least four of them. Well, I mean there's there's quite a bit of I mean you have prehistoric Isle as well. <laughs> well, yeah. Now they, well, and as the notes here say, they did. Once they became Yume Kobo, then they developed Blazing Star uh, and Prehistoric Isle 2, both of which were uh, Neo Geo MVS shoot-em-ups. And uh, some of the other games that they developed were for the Neo Geo Pocket handheld, including Biomotor Unitron, which is sort of an interesting RPG. Yeah. In addition to all the Neo Geo MBS and AES releases in 1992, the game released on the Neo Geo CD in 1995, as well as the Sega Genesis in 1994, and ports for the FM Towns and Sharp X68000 computers, and, uh, well, a PlayStation. Well, is it really re imaging? More like a, uh, a buffing? <laughs> right. Anytime. Uh, Anytime I ever I look at that uh, viewpoint chrome, it's what it really should be called for the PS1 published by EA. All I can that song uh, from Moana and Shiny pops into my head. It's yeah, it's right. like they just get turtle wax over everything. Yeah. Anyways, that version was planned for a Sega Saturn release in 1996, but it didn't happen. And apparently there was a Game Boy Color version planned at some point. <clears throat> the the only one of the interesting things that's come to light, I'd say semi recently, about 2015 or so, but was recently released around the same time the pandemic started was Viewpoint 2064. Now looking at this in action, Viewpoint 2064 looks a lot similar to Star Fox and. In some respects, it really does play a lot similar to Star Fox, but you're still stuck to that same plane. You can't move up or down. I I, I think that had it been released in 2000, it would have been a good addition to the N64's library. I'm a little surprised that they let it be canned, but 2000 it is pretty late in the N64's Library. What was it? Two thousand two, or was it two thousand one for the GameCube? Two thousand one. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's right. Before I wonder if they just didn't see them making their money back. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and it's a shame too because then we would have actually had two shoot 'em ups on the N sixty four instead of just the one. Uh huh. If you have a way of getting to the um, more legally gray areas of the internet, I'm certain you can find the ROM out there and try it yourself. It's definitely worth trying, or or even looking up on YouTube. It's definitely interesting that it would be a sequel to this game. And I <laughs> I don't know what the giant eyeball guiding you around, serving as your instructor, whatever it is in the game is for, but it, it's... Um, <laughs> Interesting and unique, I guess. And think about it like playing akin to Star Fox 64, but without being able to move up and down. Right. And 
and honestly, it does look like they were attempting to expand upon the gameplay of the original, um, which we'll get into here in just a second. Yeah. As soon as we finish up with Mr. James Brown here, the game was unique for its multiple reasons, including 3D render, pretty rendered sprites and an isometric perspective and a soundtrack that employed a lot of classic R&B samples, including James Brown. I have to say, the look of this game is certainly unique. It's you can look, one look at it and it's instantly early '90s. It, 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 I was sort of jokingly referring to it as like Lawnmower Man the Shmup, that sort of <laughs> early CG. And it, it's not quite Donkey Kong Country either that you get because the rare stuff was made and took took advantage of the way that CRTs work in, in order to make it look like there was a lot more going on and more detailed this is more simplistic earlier 3d you know in certain ways it's like if they took some early playstation one models and then converted them to sprites yeah but i think because it's a bit more stylized low poly and doesn't use goofy textures or anything like that i think it holds up probably better than it might otherwise. Yeah, the art direction definitely does a lot for it. Well, let's jump into the gameplay here. There's not a lot to to say um, because the game is not overly complex, but you, it's basic shoot 'em up gameplay. It's similar to our type in that uh, you've got a standard forward shot, and then you can press and hold the button for a charge shot. And the charge shot has a couple different levels. You can hold it for just a little bit and get sort of a a charge blast, and then if you hold the button down long enough, then you'll get a much more powerful blast that is larger and much more obvious that it's uh, a fully powered shot. There's very little in the way of power-ups in the game. Uh, You get side options that are similar to the force bits in R-Type that will flank your ship on either side. They can shoot out their own shots, and they can block some enemy fire. Um, You also can uh, pick up a shield in a couple different spots that can take up to three hits from enemy fire, but will not protect you at all against enemy collisions. So, uh, beware of that. I learned that the hard way. Yeah, uh, I have to say that the gameplay I think can be summed up with Xevious meets R-Type meets Zaxxon. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, it, it definitely pulls in a lot of the me- memorization of R-Type and even includes some of the enemy types later on. <laughs> Combined with the isometric perspective of Zaxxon and a lot of the popcorn is straight out of Xevious and some of the ideas on there. Is there any other shmups that you can see your inspiration from? No, I think that's a, a, a you know a pretty good summation of it. Uh, there's also you can also pick up bombs, and there are three different types of bombs that you can pick up. Uh, one of them is the F icon, which is like a flame wall. Uh, so when you when you fire that off, it will create a wall of flame that goes across 
the screen and sort of advances upward uh, toward the uh, toward the top of the screen as you look at the isometric perspective. There is also the homing, the H icon, which shoots out missiles, and the uh, Nova Bomb, or the N icon, which detonates and creates this giant kind of purplish-blue circle in on the screen that stays on screen for several seconds while it damages enemies and things. Uh, it is good to note that both the Wall of Flame and the Nova Bomb will cancel bullets, but the Homing Bomb will not. Um, the game plays out across six stages, and it does have a checkpoint system, so if you die... You don't instantly respawn. You will go back to a checkpoint. Um, stage five has a partial boss rush. Uh, I don't. I guess it's it's a little bit of a stretch to call it a boss rush, but essentially, stage five is a bit longer because you go through the stage and then you fight the stages two and three bosses a second time. Then you fight the actual stage five boss. Now I have to say that this. Game and maybe I should have mentioned sorry, but it has a little bit of a cave vibe to me. I really hate to call this cave because that's where I first experienced. But it, you get through stage one and two pretty, pretty handily. Most people can, but when you start getting like three and four, that's when you really have to know the mechanics, and you can't just sort of reflex dodge anymore. You have to know what's coming up. Right. Yeah. And. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, much like our type, it's it's very memorization heavy. It, it is, but I was surprised to see a lot of the variation on theirs. I mean, stage one had you fight against the, well, uh, the, I don't know if it was neck or whatever you want, to call it, but that thing left to ram you. I noticed a lot of the bosses in, in this game love to get up close and personal, which is very different than a lot of the other stuff. See, I guess the only other enemies I could love to get Ramir get close are maybe some of the Gradius series. <clears throat> Those enemies are not afraid to come right up to you. Right. There, you got the the stage one boss, and then stage two, which in my opinion has the best looking uh, aquatic type enemies this side of Darius. Mm, exactly. Yeah. With, with the uh, you know. Here I thought that Sony did it first with giant enemy crabs, so where you have to hit the weak point for massive damage. But apparently, viewpoint did it first. <laughs> That's right. And then it turns into like this little brain. It's not quite the brain that you see in stage six, but the little brain it turns into a smaller. Like it loses its shell and it's just sort of the insides. Yeah. Wondering about. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting. Um, deal. So that kind of brings up, you know, stage one boss has essentially one form. It's this kind of robot thing that goes back and forth, has cannons on the side, and a little extendable neck thing in the front. But then stage two, uh, stages two through five, those bosses have, have two forms. And so stage two, you've got the giant crab, and then once you blow up the outside, it, it's like the center portion that kind of crawls around and then the stage um stage three boss there's the insect yeah the little moth or worm that shoots loves to shoot stuff out of its butt right and and so on and so forth 
Well, in, in stage four, it's got the um, <clears throat> that really weird. I don't know what it, but it, it it's almost like a, a a tiki mask or something that it's just like a bunch of faces. Right. Yeah, it is weird. Together, it's, it's so weird. It, it reminds me of I can't remember the name of it, and Zagnorch will, if he's listening to the podcast, will probably be screaming it out at the at his phone or, or what have you right now. But it's that um, multiple-faced uh, robot from the Transformers the movie, the original oh, animated yeah. one. The one that that, that uh, is like the judge, you know, guilty or innocent, you know. And, and it, it reminds me of that because it's essentially four faces kind of around this, this uh, thing. Um, well, if it's Transformers, I'm sure it ends in Tron. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, but then the final boss actually has three forms, and the interesting thing about that is that the first two forms play out with the regular boss music that plays in the game, but then the final form has its own theme, which I thought was kind of a neat touch. Yeah, the M4, let's see, I'm trying to remember what the heck the boss was for 5. Do you remember what... Well, is it just a boss rush? No. I, I think there's a new boss at the end of it, right? Well, yeah, that's the one with the faces. I thought that was four. No, four is something else. I don't remember four's boss off the top of my head, but it's another... Um, oh, yeah, I don't remember what four's was off the top of my head. And f- four is the stage where you start getting those uh, little cannons with legs that are straight out of R-Type. Yeah. Yeah, four is pretty challenging. Now, and especially that boss. That boss takes forever to... Now, I thought, was it just me? And then I watched the long play. I'm like, Jeez, it's like five minutes of this video is just on this boss. Right. And and then, oh, you know what? No, four, four is the... Four is four is the uh, faces because five is uh, Mr. Roomba. Remember, five is where they've got the. It's basically like the stage one boss, but this time they give him. It almost looks like uh, floor polishers on the end of the. On, on each one of the legs. Oh, gotcha! Yes. Yeah, so I jokingly refer to him as like a mutated Roomba. <laughs> Speaking of which, I, I think that they'll be then my next boss design there. Yeah, this STG. You have to fight uh, mutated Roombas. Ah, they come to clean up the galaxy, and you're the only thing that stands in their way. Yeah. So, it's just one of them that's just got a, an, it's just got a knife attached to it via duct tape. <laughs> there you go. Ah. Anyways. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Chef's kiss, indeed. Oh. And there is... The stage six one, though, is, is a really weird one. The final boss being a big spider at the very beginning of it. Yeah, it's almost like a like a lobster-spider hybrid kind of thing. And then at the end of it, someone's like, I don't know what we're going to do. It's like, let's. how can we make this more metal? I don't know, just make it like a brain and some skulls coming out of it. <laughs> exactly. And then after that, you just sort of lazily fly off the planet as it explodes and here come the credits, which of course are an isometric. It almost looks like the Star Wars opening crawl. A little bit, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. Uh, 
Viewpoint does have a two-player mode, although it's two players alternating. Um, now, according to what I read on HandWiki, you can do two-player simultaneous if you enable it in the game's service menu, but I didn't actually try that. Uh, I thought about uh, checking that out in Fightcade to see if that was something that uh, maybe they had enabled in there, but uh, I did not get a chance to do that. That's all right. I definitely have to say that as far as the gameplay is concerned, it's definitely difficult and it does feel a lot like you're playing R-Type because it's very memorization heavy, but at the same time, none of it really feels unfair. I didn't have a point where I died and I says, oh, I shouldn't miss it. it. Yes, it does take a lot of getting used to the isometric perspective. However, anytime you change the perspective like that, it's going to be difficult no matter what the game or gameplay is. Right. And I think the two, the two biggest hurdles in the game are A, the isometric perspective and learning to read bullet trajectories and things like that in conjunction with that. And then two is the... The fact that you're, it, as you said, it's very memorization heavy, so you really have to learn the levels, know what's coming, know when to eliminate certain threats immediately, and where to position yourself, etc. So uh, that's a lot of it, is, is uh, just learning the levels and kind of knowing where and when to be and, and uh, what you're most immediate threats are. That sounds just like uh, any other game to come out of the, that era. Yeah, pretty much. Alright, let's talk about the shinies here, or the graphics. The game, as we talked about earlier, the game uses pre-rendered sprites that are made up mostly of polygons, but their background graphics are more traditional. In sort of a weird way, it's something like reverse um, black reverse Resident Evil or maybe you say it's following the same veins where you had the pre-rendered backgrounds that didn't change. So going for a little bit of that aesthetic there. Yeah, it, it's kind of like kind of like as you said Resident Evil or Final Fantasy 7 or 8 that kind of a thing where you've got really nice pre-rendered backgrounds but then you've got your polygons on top. Well the difference of course since the Neo Geo doesn't natively do polygons it's all pre-rendered but it has a similar look because you've got polygons as your sprites but then more standard kind of raster images as your backgrounds now uh i i guess a more apt comparison than resident evil even though resident evil is probably more well-known comparison but a more apt one would be alone in the dark alone in the dark same way that you would see with Resident Evil, where you have 3D poly or polygonal character models, but you have more bitmapped or traditional backgrounds. That is quintessential Alone in the Dark. Have you played those before or heard of those? I'm familiar with Alone in the Dark, but I haven't played it. Okay. Yeah, that's it's the same type of style that you would see. Here and instead of just being pre-rendered, there you get your bitmapped or your hand-drawn backgrounds. All right, so the isometric perspective, as we talked about earlier, was inspired by Zaxxon, but unlike that game, it retains a traditional shooter element, 
formula of x and y axis movement yeah there, there is no uh, up or down thankfully <laughs> this one we're having to get fuel The original version is very colorful and has a lot of variety in the backgrounds, enemies, and overall level design. Well, the PlayStation version reduces that color and adopts a quote-unquote chrome kind of look to the backgrounds of the enemies. Yeah, as, as I mentioned, this is not my favorite, and I think we'll get into this in just a second here, but they also swapped out the soundtrack, which uh, I think is to its detriment. Yeah, so now it's my turn to gush about the sound. Because uh, the soundtrack to this game is one of my favorites and is one of the things that continues to draw me to this game. The soundtrack itself is sort of 90s house music with, a, as we mentioned at the top of the show, a bunch of voice samples, notably uh, classic R&B material, uh, several of which feature legendary vocalist James Brown. Um, someone was commenting on one of my Twitch streams um, and they said something to the effect of, it might have been Ed, um, said something to the effect of, um, I bet no one got uh, got permission or licensed the James Brown sound samples. And that's probably true. Although that was at a time when there was a lot of sampling like that going on. And I don't know that hardly anyone ever got permission or licensed any of it. Uh, as long as they were using tiny little snippets then it wasn't seen as uh, something that was um, enough of the whole work to be considered stealing it. So yeah, but there are a lot of a lot of sound samples in the in the soundtrack that give it more character. Um, I mean, obviously, when you first start up the game and get into stage one, the first thing you hear is one, two, three, four, hit, and it just grabbed me right away and uh, you know the boss music has multiple samples and uh, oh yeah it's just I, I can't explain it I just love it and it's it's fantastic the soundtrack and voice samples are probably what actually take up a pretty good percentage of the original Neo Geo ROM size which was 74 megabits and so it was that's not a big Neo Geo game, but if you compare that to most any other console game that came out in 1992, and even a lot of other arcade games, you would find that 74 megabits is actually quite large uh, by comparison. The Genesis version does retain some of the voice samples, but... Most of them are downsampled, naturally, to the point where they're very difficult to understand or almost inaudible in some ways. Um, otherwise, I think it does a fairly respectable job of trying to replicate the sound of the original soundtrack. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't get everything right, but based on the limitations of the Genesis hardware in comparison to the more sampled and layered soundtrack the Neo Geo is capable of producing, I think they did a respectable job. The 
PlayStation version, unfortunately, as you already alluded to, has a new a new soundtrack. It's kind of a different take on things. I'm not sure how to describe it. The first stage has a very lazy electronic beat. It's kind of boring, but I guess it's just catchy enough to where it it's not bad. It just it feels bad in comparison to the much more lively and interesting soundtrack of the original. Stage 2, I think, does improve things a little bit because it has this sort of weird, lazy electronic beat mixed with a kind of surf rock vibe. Um, well, what was the voice sample that was used in that um, that uh, people were making fun of on stream? Oh, uh, some some lady saying, you don't get all your kicks from surfing, do you? And I... I I would love to know where that sample was from. It's probably from some old TV or movie show, um, but I can't think of where it was from. But overall, the PlayStation version soundtrack is a, is a big step down from the original. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask you about is I felt like the sound effects were they were present, but they were somewhat understated. The one exception I could think of might be the charge sound, uh, so that when you press and hold the button to charge your weapon, did you find that sound annoying? Uh, you know, in the context of the game, me a little bit, but you know, I I, ha- I have a uh, not not entirely newborn, but I have a baby, so. You know, any sound that isn't crying, that's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, w- I'm, I was curious because I don't find it annoying. And I think maybe it's because it's just subtle enough so that it doesn't it doesn't get on my nerves. Um, I think it was they did a nice job of balancing the kind of impulse to do that sort of repeating sound for that kind of charge shot but they but they didn't overdo it in a way where the sound dominated everything and i i would assume that part of that is because of the game's soundtrack that they wanted to make sure that the soundtrack took center stage because it obviously is one of the marquee features of the game and one of the big attractions of the game itself curiously enough that you don't hear the music during the attract mode other than the little Sammy jingle that plays. Um, so once you get into the game, that's when you actually get get uh, the soundtrack. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I have to agree that this soundtrack is amazing. I am, you know, if you're going to rip something off, do it well. And, and they definitely <laughs> made full use of what they had ripped off. It's... Pretty pretty impressive, and I still it would be some, something that I would buy the Neo Geo CD version just to be able to rip out that soundtrack. Oh yeah, and and it is Redbook audio, and so you can you can uh, you know rip the tracks to your computer just like you can with any audio CD, which I have done, and uh, which you will be hearing in the background. And that's that's one of the things is when I when I put these episodes together and I edit them, 
I generally always try to find as many versions of the soundtrack to play behind what we're saying as I can so that you can kind of get a variety. But with this game, even though the Genesis version is decent, I think I think I'm going to focus specifically on just the Neo Geo version because there's a reason this soundtrack is so so beloved and uh, I think that needs to be the highlight. Well, I certainly wouldn't put in the PlayStation version and I would definitely not put in the Sharp X68000 version. No, for for whatever reason that sounds more like the Genesis version. If you go and watch the RetroCore Battle of the Ports episode that that uh, the channel did on Viewpoint, you'll you'll hear that complaint that it, it sounds more like the Genesis version and also the X68000 version for whatever reason has very poor performance. And so it, yeah, it seems odd, but um, it just did not fare well. Well, not not everything can be a winner. And the, the, even even on the Sharp X sixty thousand, unfortunately. Nope. So let's move on to scoring. Scoring is pretty basic. You know, enemy, enemy destruction accounts for most of your score. So basically, shoot stuff. Score goes up. There's no particular strategies or routes that you need to be worried about other than staying alive. Uh, The bosses can be picked apart for for higher scoring, so that's a little bit of an advantage there. And some enemy groups are destroyed in full will reveal a star worth 500 points. So, I mean, that's, that's really about it. There really isn't much else to give you that scoring advantage or to there, if you're playing for survival, you're also playing for score. Right. I mean, there, there. The other thing is the the final boss. Its first phase, it will shoot out enemies from both sides periodically. So, if you really wanted to go hardcore, you could you get points for picking off those enemies. But I want to say it's only ten points per missile or whatever that it shoots out at you. So you would really have to milk that for a long time for that to be advantageous. Yeah, speaking of that, uh, that boss, his second phase, or that second phase on there, really reminds me of a uh, Whirlybird Carnival ride. Huh. It's got on and around. So. And th- th- it's shooting on stuff there, too, so you could get a little bit of score from there. Right. Yeah, but again, it's, it's probably more work than it's worth for as as little as the score is. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and the other thing I was trying to figure out is the end stage bonus that you get when you complete a stage. I think it's it has has to do with a combination of how many lives and bombs you have in stock, but it's not entirely clear how that's calculated, so I never quite nailed that down. So let's, uh, we didn't get a whole lot of feedback in the thread because we didn't get a lot of participation. I think I got more feedback in, uh, on streams and a little bit of discussion on the, on the discord, but. What, no one wanted to give you their, their viewpoint on viewpoint? Yes. Well, Corkman gave me his viewpoints on viewpoint and, uh, I have to say his, his views were pointed. 
indeed. So Corkman said, I've been playing the Genesis version on the default normal difficulty. There's quite a bit of slowdown when there's a lot of enemies and bullets. It's pretty advantageous for dodging and all. So this probably makes this version a fair bit easier compared to the Neo Geo CD version Metal Fro has been playing. It also seems to give out extra lives pretty often. I'm not sure how often yet, but I think it's every 50k. In my best run, I died a few times on the Stage 3 boss, but was checkpointed to a spot where I could uh, just increase my score well enough to get an extra life every other life. It's the part with those centipedes before the Stage 3 boss. Also, at that part, you can get a P icon that gives you two extra bombs and a shield. You have to destroy all the four or five centipedes that spawn, and the power-up shows after f defeating the last one. Having those extra bombs really helped during the Stage 3 boss. And yes, I can confirm a couple things there. That yes, in that, in that uh, late Stage 3 checkpoint on the Genesis version, you can score well enough in there to get extra extends, and so you can kind of keep hammering away at that checkpoint. The one thing that I'll dispute, because I actually did this on stream, was you don't actually have to destroy all the centipedes, but if you destroy the final one, that will give you that P icon that will give you a shield. Uh, and so that is the, the one difference from, from what Quirkman was saying. But uh, yeah, the Genesis version was was uh, unique in, in a couple of ways. It, it definitely has some issues, and I used to think the Genesis version was pretty decent given the hardware. After playing it again for Shmup Club and comparing it directly with the Neo Geo version, I have to say, it's kind of janky. I think given the hardware and what we've seen done with the hardware in other instances, with games like Thunder Force 4, Glaylancer, Eliminate Down, Musha, uh, and, and stuff like that, that um, it could have been done better, I think. There could, we could have had a better version of, of Viewpoint on the Sega Genesis. The soundtrack could have been uh, a little bit better, and I think the colors feel a little flat. They're not as bright or vibrant as they could be, and the game feels a little jerky. So it definitely isn't what I would have wanted, but if I didn't know any better and that's all that I had, you know, I probably would have thought it was fine. Um, but I do think the, the Genesis version suffers a bit from, uh, from just... A, not a demake necessarily, but certainly a down conversion from the original source material. Right, and, and that usually happens when you're converting stuff. Let's say, for example, the Super Nintendo port of Wolf 3D or uh, Doom. They're right. You, you're just you're doing on lesser hardware. You have to make some concessions, and I, I think that the concessions of the soundtrack at the cost of or conceding the soundtrack in order to make sure that the game looked and played the way it does is admirable I mean they, I don't think that there were any way that there we would have gone close unless they made it into a Sega CD game right so 
Yeah, the only thing I could think of is is if they had utilized the PSG sound chip to handle a little bit of the heavy lifting in the sound department, they, the the soundtrack portion could have been slightly more robust and maybe bore a bit more of a resemblance to the original. Even if it wouldn't have still have captured all the sound, it might at least have been, um, you know, a bit more full in its sound. Yeah, well, just be thankful that you weren't playing the Sharp X68000, which uh, uh, pretty much had the Genesis audio, but with improved slowdown. <laughs> so, I mean, it's... <laughs> You ever heard those saying it could always be worse? Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> For that one. But, I mean, it's interesting to see if someone actually took the Genesis version and um, it, it's not SA1, what I'm, I'm thinking of, but, you know, that now that we have the Mega EverDrives on there, you could theoretically just put the soundtrack back into the Genesis version. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right? So, uh, that would be a neat one to see. I mean... What what other games could probably benefit? Well, I'm trying to think of any viewpoint. I I guess I I guess it might help a little bit more if they on the Super Nintendo side of things than it would on the Genesis. I can't think of many uh, arcade games where people said that the Genesis soundtrack really didn't come over correctly, aside from viewpoint, at least off the top of my head. Sure. Well, I mean you know, Mortal Kombat, but then there was a Sega CD version of Mortal Kombat, you know? Yeah, boy, was that fun. Wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Shen Sun is transforming. Wait, please, wait 10 to 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the one The one annoyance I found with the Neo Geo CD version of, of Viewpoint is there's always that slight pause, you know, maybe about a half a second to a second where you had to switch audio tracks from the stage theme to the boss theme. So there was always that little pause where the game froze for just a half a second before it had to transition. Not a huge annoyance, but noticeable. Speaking of Mortal Kombat, was it just me or during the boss section there was a little bit, uh, or the boss music, there's always that little part of the music that, that I swear was ripped out right out from Mortal Kombat. Where you just may want to yell, Mortal Kombat! <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't hear that, but there are a lot of, of voice samples in the boss theme, so... Oh, no, it wasn't in there, but it, it definitely sounded like the uh, like the intro on there. That, that may, I wonder if that was made from the movie that I'm remembering, but it, it, there's a certain snippet that seems really close to... What what you get from the Mortal Kombat? It's not they call it a Sega scream. I don't know. Was it the Mortal Kombat yell? Oh sure. Mortal Monday. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I have to say, uh, no matter which way you, you you play this game, you're gonna have a good good time. But if you really really wanna. Uh, understand and ha- and get to what what all the hype is about play the neo geo cd or the neo geo original the the rest are copies but they 
they don't compare to the original. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, go for the genuine article, except no substitutes. Indeed. I can't believe this <laughs> is not better. Yeah, I'm so... <laughs> viewpoint is one of those things that at least initially it's striking and brings you in but then the music keeps you going and it's really surprising on a the MVS or even the Neo Geo didn't have as many shmups I mean you talk about Neo Geo and and 9 times out of 10 the answers you're going to get is a fighting game right so it's really interesting to that these shmups sort of pay homage and are of this caliber. You could say that Polestar is more of an R-type clone than uh, Viewpoint is, but it it definitely wears its influences on sleeve including R-type for Viewpoint. I I highly recommend anyone take a a look and give this game a chance. It may just surprise you. For sure. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is a game that that I really that I really like, and it's one that I kind of keep keep wanting to come back to. And I don't know. Like I said, for some reason, it doesn't it doesn't frustrate me frustrate me the way that I feel like it should because of its very strict R-type like game gameplay but for whatever reason it doesn't faze me and I don't know if it's the music or the presentation or the fact that because it's isometric I know that there's going to be a an adjustment factor to it um, because I was very frustrated when I was streaming the PlayStation version and certainly the Genesis version gave me some problems, even though, uh, as Cork said, it's easier. And Detungsten mentioned that in streams and on, on Discord as well, that the that the Genesis version was definitely easier. But it had its own problems. Uh, but yeah, I just... The game keeps pulling me back in. And there's not... There's just not a lot out there on the game. There's a couple of playthroughs on YouTube, and... Actually, the funny thing is, there are more videos on YouTube that are just the soundtrack of the game than there are videos of full playthroughs of the game. And I also noticed that there hasn't been uh, an episode of STG Weekly about this game. So part of me is tempted to just kind of keep playing this game in the background and keep working on it casually over time and see if I can eventually get to the point where I can clear the game and then record that, get it up on YouTube, and then maybe talk to Aquas or, or Soft Drink about uh, you know, helping to do a, an STG Weekly episode about the game just because it's one that just doesn't get much recognition. And it's a shame because, because I think it's a better game than people might otherwise think. And, you know, I don't know if the, if it's not out there more because of rights issues, because I don't know if... I think Sammy probably still owns the rights to it, because they had commissioned the, um, the N64 sequel that 
that never got finished. You know, that was a Sammy property. So I'm assuming Sammy owns the rights to it. But I don't know if that means that they own the rights to the name and the design, but not necessarily the code. Maybe ICOM still owns the code. And so maybe there's some some legality there as to why we haven't seen the game in any other form since the since the PlayStation and Neo Geo CD releases. I don't know. But it's too bad. Because I could see a game like this, you know, having a decent second life through arcade archives or something like that. Um, so it's a shame that it's it's just not out there for people to uh, to get access to it anymore. And there hasn't really there hasn't really been other than maybe the FM Towns version a solid port of the game that's been widely available. I was trying to think if it's been on any of the collections, and I can't think it has. No, I haven't seen it on anything else. Um, just really quickly, uh, I'll just mention the high scores. Uh, we only had a couple of us submitting, and so I ended up with the high score on the arcade version at 260,850 points. And then Corkman, because of that... Um, that scoring thing that he mentioned with that stage three checkpoint ended up with uh, 409,870 points on the Genesis version. Very nice. Yeah. Any other, any other final thoughts on viewpoint? I just have to say, give it a shot. It's one of those ones that doesn't, as mentioned, doesn't get very much love, but it's definitely something that you don't see very often and once that soundtrack starts playing you got me (laughs) yeah yeah and I think the isometric viewpoint for lack of a better way to say it and the fact that that was the name of the game solely because of the isometric aspect of it probably held it back even though it has an amazing, bright, colorful, fever dream kind of graphical look to it, and that excellent 90s house soundtrack, I think the the more simplified gameplay and the uh, and the isometric perspective probably did hold it back somewhat, but I think I think it's one that probably shouldn't be overlooked in spite of those things. Yeah, I definitely agree on that one. So, what do we got coming up next? Coming up next, we have a side order of Sushi Sashimi with G. Darius, which is on the arcade, PS1, Xbox, Switch, PS4, Xbox, and PC. And this is everywhere now, Yes, it was HDified and given a bestseller sticker. Yeah, yeah. With the with the recent uh, M2 port that uh, Taito commissioned, uh, it's out on the Darius Cosmic Revelation release, and then it also did get a standalone physical on Switch and PS4, and is also out on Steam. And so, lots of ways to play this game now. And uh, 
I've been enjoying the the uh, PS4 version, courtesy of the Darius Cosmic Revelation. And actually, spoiler alert, I managed to get further in the game than I ever have before on a single credit. Uh, on the uh, top route through the game. So I'm hoping that bodes well for my time with the game the rest of the month, that maybe I'll finally be able to clear this game on uh, at some level and um, then, you know, spend some time checking out the other routes. What about in June? In June, we bring the lightning, the thunder, the coffee... And the crystals with the summer of riding kicks off. That's right. We are going to be taking a look at uh, three games in the riding series during the summer. So, starting in June, we will be looking at the an original ride, which of course was an arcade game, but then it also got released on just about everything. So it hit the Sega Genesis. The Turbo Graphics, the PC Engine, CD, the Super Nintendo, PlayStation, the Jaguar, even. You're going to uh, be playing the PC Engine version for that sweet Red Belt audio. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check out the PC Engine CD version. Uh, there was a, a port of it that hit uh, MS-DOS in, or Windows in the, in the uh, early to mid-90s. And, uh, of course, more recently, the original Raiden has received a, an arcade, arcade Archives release on Switch and PS4. So I'm definitely looking forward to putting some time into that, uh, into the Arcade Archives release, and then also pulling out the PlayStation version, uh, courtesy of the Raiden Project, and firing up the uh, arranged soundtrack on that and uh, giving that a go. So, uh, everybody be prepared for the Summer of Raiden. Alright, as always, we've got some people we like to shout out and say thank you to. I'd like to say thank you to Ed of Studio Muppets slash Bullet Heaven for the logo, as well as designing those great shirts. And speaking of shirts, I know that Mark MSX has been selling... Electric Underground shirts on those look pretty cool, too. Yeah, he was just trying to finish up and get an order in for that initial design. And uh, so I made sure to to uh, order a shirt and, uh, you know, get that going. I'd like to thank Kogusu for the intro and outro music. I'd like to thank everyone at the R of Generation Playcast and Collector Cast, as well as everyone who participated and listened along or, you know, just randomly popped into one of the streams to check out hashtag Parrot Dog. <laughs> and speaking of Parrot Dog, I'd like to thank Metaphor for streaming the Shmup Cub Game of the Month as well as keeping things entertaining. Thank you again. Indeed. Alright, anything else that we need to mention before we close up shop? Drink your oval tea. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, with that, I'll say thank you all for listening, and we will see you next month. Thank you. <laughs>